0: Amen. You may be seated. Definitely want to take a minute to say thank you to all those involved here in the music ministry here at Byfield. Many of you were present for the cantata last night, and that was was an awesome time of worship. So thank you to Bob and Holly uh, and everyone in the praise band and choir and sound, and all those that helped out with that or were part of that. Today, we are finishing up the present installment of our sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We will return to this letter from Paul to the church in Corinth later next uh, after the spring. In recent weeks, the text that we have been focused on have been about communion. The way the Corinthians practice communion, is one of the many problems they have. As with their other issues, the presenting problem is deeper than it first appears on the surface. In today's verses, Paul highlights the seriousness of the Corinthian's situation. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through Thirty-four. We are about three quarters through the book of 1 Corinthians. Today we will take one more step forward, reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The church in Corinth is dysfunctional. Paul highlights their dysfunction again and again throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians. They have issues with sex, wealth, idolatry, and even how they worship together. Paul's goal is to get them not just to see their problems, but to take them seriously. They don't seem to have much of a desire to do either. Underlying the various Corinthian issues is a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel of grace that Paul preached. And what that good news was supposed to mean for their lives. These verses are just one more time Paul is trying to straighten them them out. Grace is not a free pass. The Corinthians are guilty of abusing grace. For this reason, God has sent judgments on them. To avoid judgment, Christians need to deal with our own sin. We need to judge ourselves rightly to realize our need of grace. The point is not condemnation. On the contrary, the goal of every Christian should be to move forward as the grace we have been given allows for. Today, we are going to clarify the connection between grace, guilt, judgment, condemnation, and avoiding sin in the future. Grace is not an excuse to sin, it helps us to solve the destructive problem of sin in our own lives. Grace is not a free path to sin in any circumstance. In these verses, Paul is writing to the Corinthians about communion, which is a physical act through which Christians proclaim the grace that has been shown to us by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Paul has already described the unworthy manner in which the Corinthians are taking communion. When the church gets together, the wealthy people have a bunch of wine and get drunk. Those that are poor in the congregation sit around hungry, watching the wealthy people get drunk and eat their fill. The unworthy way in which the Corinthians are practicing communion is a source of guilt before God. They are disrespecting what Jesus has done for them. Through their worship, they are sinning. What is happening when the Corinthians take communion can happen broadly in Christian life. Communion is a special circumstance. It should be taken seriously. In the symbolic proclamation of taking communion, the person doing so is remembering the body and blood of Christ through the cup and the bread. It is a celebration that is intended to make clear the connections between the grace of God and our ongoing existence in this world as fallen human beings that have been redeemed. While communion is a special recognition of grace, it is not separate from the grace Christians live in All of the time. Paul hit heavily in the prior chapter of 1st Corinthians on this as part of a warning about idolatry. He said, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Too often... Christians section off their lives into sacred and secular spaces. Sunday is set aside for the sacred, or at least Sunday morning it is. The rest of the week, the majority of life is not connected to what happens on Sunday mornings or Christian faith. The Corinthians were guilty of this tendency as we are today. Christians cannot divide our lives into such categories. The whole of the Christian life is a living out of communion with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The way we behave in relation to that grace is important at all times. Living in an unworthy manner on a random Tuesday is just as much of a contradiction as is taking communion in an unworthy manner on a Sunday. Paul tells those in Corinth that take communion in an unworthy manner, they are guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. This is an extreme charge to make, and Paul doesn't make the charge lightly. For Paul, there's nothing more serious than the blood of Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, he writes about the blood of Christ. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is God incarnate that took on flesh to save mankind. Guilt in relation to the body and blood of Christ is significant. From Paul's perspective, guilt concerning the blood of Christ is a deadly serious Matter. He goes so far as to say that the reason son and Corinth suffer from weakness, illness, and death is due to the guilt they have incurred in relation to the blood of Christ. The stakes could not be higher for the Corinthians. I want to take a minute here for a necessary digression. Paul states unambiguously that the physical health of some of the people in Corinth has been negatively impacted by their sin. Paul is operating from a place of prophetic awareness, the belief that a physical issue is necessarily the result of some sin. That can be a really damaging belief. Scripture is very clear that every illness is not necessarily the result of sin. When Jesus heals a blind man in John 9, the disciples assume someone, either the man or his parents, must have sinned for the man to have been born blind. Jesus sets them straight that this this is not the case. While it is true that physical disease isn't the result of sin in many cases. That doesn't mean it is never the case. Sin can and does cause physical dysfunction. This could be the result of straightforward cause and effect. Whenever I see one of those old rock bands like being interviewed, and I look at the guy that's been playing electric guitar for like 60 years and rolling stone. I'm like, that dude doesn't look good, right? He, he does not look good. And when I think to myself, I'm like, well, yeah, I, I can imagine why that might be the case. It might also be the case, it can be the case, that sin is connected to disease to physical degradation in ways less obvious to us. In in my time as a pastor, especially as a senior pastor, you you tend to know more as a senior pastor. It's one of the great things about being an associate pastor. You can just kind of like blithely be unaware of a lot of stuff. It's actually pretty nice. But in my time here at Byfield, there are certain times where I see something happening with someone with a person, and I see them physically degrade before my eyes. And I know what's going on in their private life. And I see it playing out in them physically. Now, you guys have probably witnessed this as well. A a friend is going through something in their lives, and, and you see it. You see it in them physically. And I think we have to take seriously that connection. We're not just physical beings. We're not just spiritual. beings. We are physical, spiritual beings, and so we should we should expect those two aspects of ourselves to interact with one another. I have seen people living in unrepentant sin age like a decade in three months. Right? You just you see it on their face. that's what's happening in Corinth. there are those that are weak or ill as a result of temporal judgment from god through sickness that has resulted from their actions spiritual dysfunction will often manifest itself in our physical bodies the connection between physical and spiritual health is not the only surprising statement paul makes in these verses As contradictory as it may sound to our ears, guilt is possible in relation to grace. God gives grace freely. It is unearned. The Lord expects us not to abuse grace wantonly. That is not a bizarre position to hold. It is what we see as reasonable as in most any area of life. If I let you use my car when yours was in the shop, I would expect you to use it responsibly. If I found out you had borrowed my car and taken it street racing or off-roading, I would be more than a little annoyed because your actions would show disdain not just for my car, But for me, the grace God extends to us is made possible by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, by Jesus coming into this world. It is understandable that God doesn't appreciate it when grace is used for selfish purposes instead of its intended purposes. Grace didn't cost us anything. That doesn't mean it was free. It cost Jesus more than we can even imagine. He paid that price willingly. That doesn't mean it was a small price to pay. When we abuse grace, we incur guilt and judgment. This is exactly what is happening in Corinth. It is an extremely common phenomenon in Christianity today. To avoid guilt and judgment that comes with it in relation to grace, Christians need to judge themselves. Is that what Paul is saying? That doesn't even sound like the version of Christianity I am familiar with. Yet Paul writes in these verses, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. The clear implication of this verse is, We need to judge ourselves. If we do so, it will not be necessary for us to experience judgment for abusing grace. When we hear we are supposed to judge ourselves from Paul, we are susceptible to misunderstanding what he is saying. We might conclude that we should condemn ourselves. Woe is me, for I am a sinner. This sort of judgment ends up taking us to a place of shame. Paul is not trying to get the Corinthians or us to despise ourselves. We are supposed to see our sinful shortcomings. We all have a lot of them. Every once in a while, some situation arises where I see my own heart at its darkest. Many of you are aware that uh, I travel down to Tennessee every year with my family, and if I wanna see my own heart at its darkest, I should probably try to load up a car with with all of my family's stuff for a two week trip because it feels like there's a lot of anger in there about the packing we're doing, okay? I lose my temper, I get frustrated, I'm malicious, in some way. And the result of all of this awareness, it could be self-loathing, self-condemnation. For Christians, the purpose of recognizing our guilt is not wallowing in our own failures. The point is that accurate self-judgment should cause us to embrace grace. When we recognize our own shortcomings, we recognize the need we have of God's provision. Grace is what God has provided for our shortcomings. To be very clear, the point of judgment for the Christian, whether it is our own judgment or God's judgment of us, is not condemnation. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. For the Christian, the type of judgment being referred to here is corrective. If we don't see our own shortcomings, God will show them to us. He often does so by exposing us to the negative consequences of our own actions. Hebrews 12 6 says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In the verses that follow this proclamation, God disciplines us as his children. Every good parent disciplines their kids for their own well-being. Judgment is a means by which We are set free from sin and condemnation. The first verses of Romans 8 explain the logic in play. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Sin is condemned in us so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us through Christ. Judgment is a necessary precursor to embracing the gospel. This is true when we come to faith. It is also true in an ongoing way for Christians as we continue to embrace the gospel more. Judgment is not supposed to lead to self-loathing and condemnation. It is supposed to lead us to the grace that restores us. To us, it may seem as if Paul is making a mountain out of a molehill when it comes to the Corinthians and communion. The simple way in which they are practicing communion shows their disregard for grace. The way they are taking communion is the way they are living their lives in general. Their faith, as they understand it, it allows them to do whatever they want. Instead of seeing the ways in which they are falling short, they think they're doing great. And this is not an isolated incident. Their behavior in church indicates they are not judging where they are falling short in any area of their lives. As as sad as it is, worship through communion is probably where these folks are on their best behavior. The fact they are showing up, not sharing what they have, and getting drunk tells us a lot about how they live the rest of their lives. There isn't actually any such thing as a small sin though. Every sin that starts out as a molehill will eventually turn into a mountain. Every sin starts out that way they they start small and they grow big given time sin will multiply think of sin the same way you would a mouse infestation in your house okay you may only see like one mouse every once in a while but if you see one mouse you know that there are mice, right? A mouse doesn't just hang out by itself. And if you choose not to deal with the one mouse, I guarantee you there will be problems sooner or later. The best way to deal with sin is not to judge it when it occurs, but avoid sinning in the first place. Paul gives the corinthians some easy advice about their own particular sin their sin is tied to how they are doing communion he tells them if anyone is hungry just eat at home right has any more straightforward advice ever been given that is all they need to do to avoid judgment in this particular area if you're hungry Just eat first. If the Corinthians would just take a snack with them, they would be good to go. Sin is often not particularly complicated. Avoiding sin is a matter of taking preventative steps. Most affairs would never happen if one of the people involved sent an email or a text cutting off contact as soon as they began to suspect how strong their feelings were becoming. There are many people in this room that know there are simple steps to take to avoid a certain problematic sin. If we don't take those steps, we can't act surprised by the inevitable result. Every Christian needs to examine ourselves regularly. This self-knowledge can be used to plan simple steps to avoid sin. And that brings us back around to communion. Communion is a great opportunity to examine ourselves. Both to repent of the sins that we have committed and to think about how we can avoid future sins. In general, as Christians, we need to be intentional about setting aside time, about making a routine of how we will examine ourselves to prevent ourselves from falling into these sins that we know we should be avoiding in the first place. Sin should be taken seriously. Sin is deadly. It impacts us spiritually and physically as well. We should be intentional about avoiding sin. We should judge the sin that is present in our lives. Not so that we can feel ashamed or condemned, but so we can deal with the sin through the grace of Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. As seriously as we take sin, grace should be taken even more seriously. It is by grace that we participate in the body and blood of Christ, which is what communion remembers. We take grace seriously by recognizing its cause to Jesus Christ and also by remembering Grace is not an excuse to sin. It is a solution for sin. The central miracle of Christianity is that the more grace we need, the more grace God supplies, the more grace we receive, the more we value the grace that we have received, and the more we realize the tragedy of our own sin. This drives us to avoid sin and embrace grace all the more. One of the, one of the tensions that I feel here, I feel as I, was, as I was getting up here today, is in a lot of respects, this is, this is not a Christmas sermon, right? This is not Mary and Joseph. This is not Simeon. There's no donkeys in this sermon. But this message, the message of grace, that's what Christmas is all about. There's always this linkage between Christmas and Easter and the Christian life as a whole. So as we continue in this Christmas season, let us remember, let us focus on the great gift of grace that God has freely given us through Jesus Christ that we might be made whole. That grace is our gift. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I know that there are various situations in this room today. There are those that need to hear the message of, of taking a sin seriously in their life and there are those that need to hear the message of grace because they have condemned themselves so severely Lord, i pray that your spirit would work in the hearts of those in this room and that we might all hear the truth that we need to hear from this passage I pray that your grace would be at work in our lives, that we'd be moving towards spiritual wholeness. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.